Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's word and his presence to change your life. Uh, my name's Cody. I'm the campus pastor of uh, Renew Life Midland. Uh, such an honor and joy to be here with you. Keith is actually uh, sharing some things with our church family in Midland. And uh, man, God is on the move. It's super fun. Um, how was Ben Armstrong last week? How many of you here last week? Yeah, was he amazing? Yeah, I love him. He's, he's such a powerhouse. Um, yeah, I wanna share something today. Um, I'm gonna share on the, the title of hope, the topic of hope. Uh, the other day, uh, it would've been last Saturday, I got a uh, notification on my watch, which is, uh, I thought I had all of those things turned off, but I, I guess I didn't. And I got a news notification on my watch, and, and what I saw on my watch face was uh, the news article about how uh, the United States men's uh, soccer team, like their World Cup hopes had kinda come to an end. And this is what this headline actually said, it was a quote. And it said this, it says, in the end, it's the hope that kills us all. So I'm like, all right, now I'm intrigued. So I click on this news article. It takes me to a podcast. It's a podcast of uh, this guy and this girl, they're the the co-host, and they're breaking down all things World Cup soccer. And she goes on to say, hope is this terrible, weird, addictive thing that in the end just kills us. And it just was like this, kind of like, it just felt nasty, it was kind of gutting, and I'm like, that is the definition, or that is a hope that uh, she's talking about that is a worldly hope that actually is fleeting and has no uh, foundation into it, but for those of us in Christ, we're actually connected to the God who is the God of all hope. And so, yeah, she is right in the sense that uh, a worldly hope does offer nothing but death in the end, but when you're connected to Jesus, there's actually no hopeless situation. Amen? To have anybody that agrees and believes the Bible this morning. Perfect. I'm gonna ask you to talk back to me just a tiny bit uh, so that I don't have to preach this thing by myself. Uh, But for those of us connected to God, we have to make sure that we don't actually carry worldly standards into our relationship with the Lord, right? We're we're designed to to pray in such a way that heaven invades the earth, not that heaven is dumbed down to the version or to the standard of the earth, but actually that it comes and it shifts the standard of earth to look like the things that are happening in heaven. And so we have to make sure that even in this idea of hope that we're not carrying as born-again believers in Jesus, who is the difference maker, who is the God of all hope, that we don't also attach our hope to a worldly hope that says you should actually just expect defeat in your life. We gotta make sure that in the middle of what seems to be a hopeless situation that we don't take on something that is not godly. So I'm gonna talk about hope today. Um, and, and if you would, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's gonna be on the screen behind me. But it says this, um, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with him, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they, they replied. 
He was a prophet, powerful in word and in deed before God and all of the people. And the chief priest and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped, pay attention to that, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of the women, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he's alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all, the, all of the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer things, these things and enter into his, joy, into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village in which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other where our hearts now burning within us when he talked and walked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those who were with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus recognized them when they had broken bread. Such an impactful story about hope and what God does in a single moment. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna unpack uh, some of the scripture and uh, share some things, a couple things on hope. So Father, I thank you for everything that you've done in this room, the way in which you're moving, the joy that was deposited in worship, uh, what Natalie prayed. I pray, I pray Father, that you would uh, infuse us with your hope, that we would see you in a new way this morning, that you would open our ears and our eyes to actually have a different understanding, Father, uh, that we would, we would come into a greater revelation of what it's like to walk with you and talk with you and the things that you actually desire to reveal to us that actually prove that you are who you say that you are. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, open our ears to hear and that you would give, us, uh, give me a mouth to speak uh, things that are true. And I pray, Father, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, you ever been in one of those situations like these disciples where you had hoped for something and then it didn't actually go the way that you had hoped it was going to go? Anybody ever been there? Uh, I remember one time, um, this is about 2012, we were living in a small town uh, north of Weatherford. We were actually living in Weatherford. I was working in a small town north of Weatherford in a little bitty town called Boyd, Texas. And we just called it Boyd America because it was just so small, it just seemed right, kind of made it significant. But there was a barber shop in this town. And for whatever reason, all of a sudden, I had this strong desire that I needed to go to this small town barber shop and get a straight razor shave for the very first time. And, and, and only the guys, obviously, I hope, uh, can relate to this. Um, but when... If you've ever had one, you'll know the experience, but if you hadn't had one and you really wanted one, you had hoped that it was going to be an incredible experience. I had hoped, and the stage that I'd set in my mind for this experience, this kind of uh, crossing over a threshold because I actually uh, could have a, a straight razor shave because I needed to have one because I was actually able to grow facial hair. I was crossing over into some things that were manly. Anyways, 
I expected to walk into this barbershop and be uh, met by an older gentleman, maybe a war vet, uh, maybe who had the hat on that signified which brands he served in, and maybe the guy who had like the old faded tattoo on his forearm that had just kind of been there, seen some things. But what I was not expecting was a version of like the water boy's mom. And she was like, what do you need? And I'm like, oh, crud. Like, do I just turn around and walk? So I'm like thinking, okay, maybe she's the receptionist. Maybe she's the, maybe she's the first person you see. And maybe he's behind closed doors. So I tell her what I need. And she's like, I'm thinking, you know, okay, he'll be out and he'll help you out in just a second. She, she sets me in the chair. And she goes forth, and I'm like, this is a problem, like, because, like, I don't know if you know the things that need to happen to my face before you start cutting on my face. And so, needless to say, it didn't go the way that I hoped it was going to go. You ever, mown a gra- you ever mowed grass, and it was like an uneven yard, but you mowed it on the lowest setting? And all the high spots, they're just kind of skint and burnt? Well, that's what my face was like after this experience. Like I walked out of there almost needing blood transfusion, so all the little like pieces of tissue all over my face. But I share that because we've all been in these moments of our life where we had hoped something was going to happen, yet there was a completely different uh, outcome. And one of the things that's interesting about hope is, and, and the reason that I had hoped that it was going to be different is because I had been told and I had seen that other people had a different experience and their experience created an expectation in me that when I walked in, I was going to get what I was hoping for. See, hope is created oftentimes by expectation. Expectation is either created on us by something that someone says uh, it's created by something that we actually see in another person's life. So we walk into a situation expecting and having hope that it's going to go this way because we've seen it or we've heard it go that way in other people's lives. We have this hope. You think about your kids for a moment. Uh, kids get this. Uh, when you tell your kids, maybe, or in a little while, or uh, we'll see, You've created hope in them, right? Scripture talks about uh, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything beyond that or whatever is other than that comes from the evil one. Like That's pretty strong. Matthew chapter five says that. And so when you talk about expectation and you talk about your yes and your no and anything beyond those two things comes from the evil one, you actually with your words and, and, and we with our words, people with our, their words, they actually can create something in us that if it doesn't come true, it actually moves over into this place of stealing, killing, and destroying hope. So I say all that to say, expectation is created by the things that you say and the things that you see. And so we have to pay attention to uh, not deferring hope not deferring hope in our kids, not deferring hope in our spouses, not deferring hope in the people that we work with, not deferring hope in the people that we run in life with. And we do that by saying yes or no, because anything beyond that is expectation, uh, but it's also created by the evil one. Interesting. Um, a little side note. So I, I try to pay really close attention. I don't always crush that area, but I try to re- play really close attention. If I know the answer is no to my kids, I try to tell them no. Because if I tell my six-year-old maybe, all she heard is yes. And she's the most persistent person on the planet. 
I don't know if you have one of those, uh, but she will wear you to a fine point until you literally just break. And so I've learned uh, from her. She's taught me so much. But the, biv- the biblical definition of, of, of hope is the expectation of good. I've, heard, I've also heard it say uh, hope is a, a confident expectation that God is who he says that he is and that he's going to do the things in your life that he said he was going to do. That is what hope is. And so we find these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they had this hope that Jesus was going to come and redeem Israel. He was going to come and redeem God's people in a manner that was different than what they actually experienced. Right? There's that one part in scripture that we read and it says, but we had hoped that he was going to be the redeemer of Israel. And I, I think that uh, they had this expectation that Jesus was going to redeem God's people with this mighty, this mighty hand of, of war. That Jesus was going to come in with like this like Wyatt Earp type anointing and just literally just start cleaning house on all of these people. They, they might have had hope that Jesus was the kind of person that was going to be the redeemer that looked like maybe Peter. Where Peter literally takes out a sword, cuts the soldier's ear off. They were hoping that Jesus wasn't going to be the redeemer that actually picks the guy's ear up and puts it back on his head. This is what they had hoped Jesus was going to be, but they got this Jesus who uh, presumably looked weak and didn't speak up for himself when being accused, and, and he actually just carried on and let something actually break him, and he didn't actually overthrow them with this forceful hand. And so they find themselves in this place of disappointment and sadness, walking to Emmaus. They were actually in this place of disbelief that Jesus actually even had rose from the dead. It said that one of the the ladies had gone to the tomb and found it empty, but didn't see Jesus. And then they even said that some of their their companions, some of the other disciples ran to the tomb and and an angel told them that he had been risen, but they didn't see him in the tomb. And so because they didn't see him and seeing was believing for them in the moment, they find themselves downcast without hope. We had hoped. And so now they're walking away from the place that Jesus told them to stay, which was Jerusalem, so that when the Holy Spirit come, they would be endowed with power from on high. They find themselves walking in this direction. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he shows up and starts walking with them. So I wanna wanna share a couple things with you uh, out of this passage um, that I think we can lean on when we find ourselves in places that feel like they are hopeless. And I say the word feel like because uh, I believe firmly that when you walk with Jesus, there's actually never really a true hopeless situation. And so the first thing I wanna share is this is that Jesus is prepared to walk with you as long as it takes you to recognize who he is and who he wants to be in your life. Jesus is prepared to walk with you for as long as it takes you to recognize who he is and who he wants to be in your life. And we often go through moments in life of knowing that Jesus is with us, right? Everybody in this room, you've probably walked with Jesus for a a period of time. There are these moments where you feel like your communion with Jesus can't be interrupted. It feels like everything that you do, he's right there. Every decision that you make, it is right. It's like you're literally standing under a fountain of favor everywhere that you go. We've been in these places where it's like we ask the Lord for an answer and it seems like we get one 
ASAP. It's like there's this, there's this divine connection. It's like we're, we're connected at the hip with Jesus. And then there's these moments where all of a sudden it feels like Jesus is nowhere to be found. You ever experienced those? Where it seems like you're on an island by yourself and Jesus doesn't even know the location of the island. It's, it's that the things that you pray seem to fall completely dormant. The things that you believe, they seem to not work. You start questioning yourself. It, there are these moments where you're walking with Jesus and then these moments where it seems like you're walking alone. And I want you to think about just for a moment what it would have been like for these disciples in this moment. Were these disciples also the guys who were a part of uh, the, the multitudes that Jesus fed, the 5,000 with the, 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 the five loaves and the two fish? Like, were, were, they, were they these people that saw Jesus do these incredible things? Were they these people that were literally walking in communion and were there, was their relationship now one of we had hoped that he was actually going to be this thing that we expected? And Jesus, all of a sudden, he appears to these guys on this, on this journey. It's this incredible moment, and it says that, that they're kept from actually seeing Jesus. And Jesus walks with these guys for seven miles, all the way to Emmaus. And, and if you go back and read, it talks about how Jesus had this demeanor. As Jesus walked with him, he began to unpack history. And he, and he, and he, and he rewound history that, that pointed all the way to the fact that he is who he says that he is, and he's going to be who he says that he's going to be. And they, they, they still actually don't quite hear, they still don't see. He walks with them for the seven miles. And then it says this, it's very, very interesting. In verse 28, it says, then they, near, they drew near to the village where they were going. And Jesus indicated that he would have gone farther. That's significant to me because Jesus was so willing to walk with him for as long as they needed him to walk with him until the moment that they invited him in so that he could reveal himself. I don't know what your journey looks like. I don't know what your situation looks like. But I'm telling you this morning that if you find yourself lacking in hope, just understand that Jesus is willing to walk with you as long as it actually takes. His plan and his purpose is to reveal himself to you and show you the life that you can live in him. So Jesus walks with these guys for seven miles. I love the fact that Jesus is this, 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 this loving uh, Lord, this, this, this Savior, this Father who is so willing to pour himself out for as long as it possibly takes. We've all been in these positions and these situations where uh, we've done something and we said we would never do it again. Jesus, I'm sorry that I did this thing. Jesus, I'm sorry that I did this thing. Will you forgive me for this thing that I did? Will you forgive me for this thing that I did that again that I said I wouldn't do and that was like a hundred times ago and Jesus is like, I'm prepared to continue to walk farther if you need me to. I am prepared to, uh, to walk with you and continue to reveal myself little by little by little until you actually recognize who I am in your life. If you find yourself saying that this is the end of the road for you, in your relationship with Jesus, you have to understand that Jesus' demeanor is he's prepared to walk farther.
The second thing is this. He's waiting on your invitation. In the middle of these moments of, of, of despair or where you feel like things are hopeless, Jesus is simply waiting for you to invite him in. In verse 29, it says, but they urged him strongly. I love those words. This is almost like a begging. This is like a plea. This is like a, uh, I actually urgently need you to stay. I actually urgently need you to come. I actually urgently need you to show up. They, they urge him strongly. They say, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. As the story goes on, as, they're, as they invite him into this private setting, as they invite him into this kind of secret type place, this intimate place, it's at a table that Jesus reveals who he is when he takes bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And I believe this, I believe that Jesus is waiting for your invitation into the quiet place so that he could reveal himself to you so that hope is actually brought back to the surface. So here's what happens in the private place, is that when you invite Jesus into your quiet place, Jesus is actually this, we've heard this, it's that still small voice, right? It's really, really challenging to, uh, if you're dealing with despair and you're dealing with, with a, a hopeless situation and you're lacking in hope, to actually think that you're going to hear the voice of God share with you the, the, the things that he has for you or uh, the plans that he has for you or impart something to you that's going to be of value when you're surrounded publicly by noise. Yes, does he reveal himself in the public setting 100%. But oftentimes I think what we do is we start practicing hearing God in public, thinking that we're always going to be able to detect the voice of God. When he says in Matthew chapter six, that when you pray, if you'll go and you'll go into your quiet place and you'll shut your door, if you'll invite and, and pray to the father who's in the secret, where is he? He's in the secret. If you'll pray and invite and pray to the father who is in the secret, he who sees in secret will reward you openly. I'm saying this, inviting God into your quiet place is the place that you practice hearing the voice of God. And if you're dealing with some sort of despair or you're dealing with some sort of lack of hope, I would ask you to start cultivating and reawakening the giant and reawakening yourself in the quiet place with the Father. It is the place that you're literally allowing him to come in and rub off on you. You think about your spouse or you think about a voice that you can hear. We used to play this game with our students all the time. It was actually torturous, but it was fun. You know, when you're a youth pastor, you can do a lot of things in the name of church, in the name of ministry. Blake, Blake's like, yes, I'm listening. You can actually do things because you're a youth pastor that kids will do, but no one else will do. It's fantastic. We used to play this game, though, when we would set mouse traps, mouse traps all over the stage. And we'd blindfold a student. It's the best ever. And we, this would be the starting line, and then this would be the finish line. And on the finish line, we would say, okay, I need you to get a friend out of, the, out of the crowd that you know their voice really well. And we're gonna put them at this point of the stage, but you're gonna be over here. And then everyone else, your, your plan is to do as much chaotic noise as possible. And what you have to do blindfolded is you have to allow this voice to speak to you, and you hear that voice and navigate through this maze of, of mousetraps. 
And you have to find the voice that you actually know in the midst of all of the chaos. Well, of course they're going to pick a person that they're close with. How do they get close with that person? They got close to that person in a private setting. They learned to pick up that voice because they've spent time with that voice. They didn't all of a sudden say, you know what, I'm just gonna take a stranger and see if I can pick their voice out of all the other strangers and then I'm gonna work my way through this maze of mousetraps. It's the most fantastic game because it always happens that they step on a mousetrap. Anyways, I'm saying that, that God is waiting for you to invite him into your private place so that he could speak to you in a way that reveals his heart for you and the things that he has for your life so that when you step out of that private place, you actually are back in the public setting where you might be surrounded by that noise or that chaos that once led you uh, astray by emotion or once uh, attached itself to that feeling of despair and now you're actually lost in the public setting. He's saying, if you'll just come back and if you'll just recluse back to me over here in this private setting, if you'll just invite me in constantly over and over and cultivate this secret place lifestyle, I will impart some things to you that you can actually carry into this setting so that when those things come against you, you'll actually hear my voice above the voice of despair. I love the fact that Jesus shows up for these guys the moment that they invite him into the secret place. And notice where he reveals himself. He reveals himself at the table. He reveals himself at the table. I thought instantly of Psalm 23, verse five. It says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you, you lacked hope or you were feeling despair. But it feels like you're fighting an enemy that you can't win. It feels like that every turn you're actually coming to a dead end. It, it can feel like that there is no joy, that all life and all expectation, all things that are good have been sucked out of every moment and every, every pore of your entire life. I lived in a, in a place like this in 2016 where I found myself uh, really, really depressed and really, really almost like nervous breakdown, uh, identity crisis type thing where for, for days at a time, I just laid on the couch, where, uh, you know, I, 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 didn't have the, the in, I didn't have the energy, I didn't have the hope, I didn't have the joy to even get up in the morning and brush my teeth. This was a place of, of depression, it was a place of despair, it was truly what I would call the most hopeless situation I've ever been in in my entire life. Uh, I remember my daughter at the time, she came up and, you know, kids are, kids are amazing. And kids, kids sense when you're dealing with things. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Uh, she walks up and she says, Dad, I, I, I wanna be just like you when I grow up. Just like her effort to like bring me up. And my answer, this is the dark place that I was in, is baby, you, you actually don't wanna be like daddy. Because I didn't think that there was anything valuable in my life. And I found myself in this place where I was in this deep, 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 dark depression and deep, dark despair where I was like, Lord, if you'll remove it, I will give you the call of your call on my life. I'll give it back to you if you'll take all of my pain and despair with it. I just was in one of those really, really hard, hard places. And in this time, I started refinishing a table for my wife. So it's like I was in sorrow and then I added something other. I don't know if you've ever finished furniture. Just don't, buy new. Seriously, just save yourself all of the pain, 
all of the heartache. Just go buy something new. But I didn't. I wasn't hearing the Lord. Anyway, so I start refinishing this table for Stacy, and it was a process, like for sure. And it took me multiple applications of like paint strippers and paint thinners, and I couldn't use uh, sandpaper because it would just like gum up the sandpaper. Finally, I, f- I used aircraft paint stripper, and I would glob it onto this table and set it in the sun, and it would start bubbling up, and then it would start bubbling up this stain, and I was able to scrape it off little by little by little, all of the table, the whole table, all six chairs, and then I could actually sand it. And as I was refinishing a table, the Lord was putting me at a table. As I was doing something in a natural, he's saying, listen, I know that you feel all these ways, and I know that it feels like you're fighting something that you can't win, but I need you to understand that I'm preparing a table for you, before you in the presence of your enemies. All of the things that are attacking your joy, all of the things that are attacking your hope, all of the things that have put you in this place of despair, I am actually setting a table. I'm setting you, I'm wanting to set you at a table so that all of those things actually get to sit and watch you feast on the goodness of who I am. I love that Jesus reveals himself at a table. Because this table is this place of nourishment. It's this place where you're actually taking something into your body that should revitalize you. And Jesus reveals himself at a table to these disciples. I think it's incredible. When I said that there's no hopeless situation in Jesus... I think about what happened after these disciples have this encounter with Jesus in this private setting. It says that they they immediately get up after Jesus reveals himself and he disappears. They get up and they walk seven miles back to Jerusalem. Seven miles back. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus says, now I want you to stay to the disciples. I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you're endowed with power from on high. Talking about the Holy Spirit. They return back to the place that Jesus told them to stay at in the first place. And then we see in the book of Acts chapter two how the Holy Spirit comes and they actually receive power to actually do ministry. They actually receive power. They're empowered from on high to do the things that they once probably thought was uh, never going to be possible because Jesus had went away. But Jesus made us this promise, right, that, that when he went away, it was for our benefit because if he didn't go away, he wouldn't send the helper. But if he did, he would actually send the Holy Spirit who would come and we would receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon us. They actually go from this place of we had hope that Jesus was going to redeem Israel to actually being people that are redeeming God's people through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus constantly take things all things, and he works together for the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. I don't know what your situation's like. I don't know what you're feeling like, but I promise you this, that if you will just tap in and stay connected to Jesus, if you will just invite him to the table, if you'll just stay in this place of knowing that Jesus is going and wants to reveal himself to me, you will also be infused with this power that you all of a sudden have hope, not just for your life, but for the people around you too. Every single one of us are designed to infuse other people with joy, like Natalie was talking about, but also to give hope everywhere that we go to. I love this. I'm gonna close, I'm gonna close right here. Well, I was going to. (laughs) 
Um, let's just do this. Psalm chapter 62. Um, it says this. It says, my soul, talking about your mind, your will, your emotions. My soul, wait silently for God alone. For my expectation or hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. One of the other things about hope, hopelessness or feeling despair or feeling a lack of hope, one of the things that you have to do is you have to remind yourself of who God is and what he said over your life. The scripture is all powerful when the moment that it's released out of you. So you start confessing that he is the God that turns all things that the enemy meant for harm into my good. You start confessing that he is the God that knows the things that I need before I even ask him. You start confessing that he is the God whose thoughts towards me outnumber the grains of sand. This is scripture. He is the God, you start confessing, he is the God that saw fit to bring me to this spot and he is not the kind of God that knows how to leave me nor forsake me. Good news is he didn't bring you this far to leave you. Amen? And so I would just strongly encourage you, if it's Psalm 62, write that down, remember that, put it in your phone, and start declaring over yourself the goodness of God in your life, that he is only your defense and you shall not move. My soul, it waits, it waits silently upon the Lord. My expectation, he is my hope, it comes from him. He is my rock and he is my salvation. You pull yourself into a place of constantly confessing the goodness of God over your life until you actually see it come to pass. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out renewlifechurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.